0: welcome to our worship service. We're glad that you're here today. We have a number of our people that are away. It is a traveling time of year. We've got folks coming and going with summertime here, and so we want to keep in our prayers those who are out vacationing and traveling to and from family and friends. If you're visiting with us, as always, we are thankful that you're with us today. We want to encourage you to come back. We're always glad to have visitors in our midst, and we want you to know that we count you as an honored guest. We're going to be looking at the second chapter of the book of Mark. I would invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2 as we look at verses 1 through 12. In the second chapter of the book of Mark, we are introduced to some gentlemen that brought Jesus face to face with a friend of theirs, an acquaintance. In essence, they thought enough of this individual to bring him to the Lord. They cared enough to bring him to the one that could help him. And so today I want us to look at Mark chapter 2. In our study today, we're going to be talking about the theme, Do you care enough to bring someone to Jesus? We all know that there are many verses that encourage us to reach out to those who are outside the body of Christ. Jesus, as you well know, came to seek and to save the lost, as he would say, In Luke chapter 19 at verse 10, the Lord Jesus Christ was interested in the souls of people. He placed great value on the human soul. As his people, we too must understand and appreciate the value of the human soul. It's only when we come to understand how valuable the soul is, that we see the importance of reaching out to those who are lost and dying in sin. Today as we look at Mark chapter 2 and think about the theme, Do You Care Enough to Bring Someone to Jesus? I want to begin by talking first of all about the crowd. In verses 1 and 2, Mark tells us that Jesus entered... Capernaum, which was located on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Here we find Jesus entering into someone's home. Some have speculated as to the owner of this home. Commentators have suggested that it might have been Peter, Andrew, the text doesn't say. But nonetheless, Mark tells us that Jesus entered Capernaum and after some days it was heard that he was in the house. You can just imagine the news as it began making the circuit. Jesus is not only in town but he is in a specific home. And so we think first of all about the presence of Jesus. Imagine having Jesus in your home. And the opportunity to spend time with the Lord. I think we need to understand that in Jesus, burdens can be relinquished. Jesus would say and. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I'll give you rest. And then I think about the fact that in Jesus, blessings can be received. No doubt many people go to the home of the resident in Capernaum for the purpose of being blessed by Jesus. Just being around the Lord would be a great blessing. But then there's a second thing I want you to see, and that is not only the presence of Jesus in this house, but consider the people who gathered to Jesus in this house. In verse 2, it says, Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. A couple of thoughts here. First of all, I think about the people that were flocking to this home. And no doubt they wanted to be in the presence of the Son of God. But in this home, they had the opportunity to examine the person Jesus. Before we can ever appreciate who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what he can do for others, we've got to first of all come to an understanding of who he is. Jesus was concerned about what some were saying about him. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, he asked the question on one occasion, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that, you, that you're Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. Simon Peter, however, spoke up and said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. These people had the opportunity to examine the person, Jesus. And by the way, when you look at the characteristics of Jesus, you find out that he was and is preexistent. He has always existed. John tells us that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The preexistent Christ tabernacled in human flesh for the purpose of redeeming us from sin and unrighteousness. In John 1, 14, John said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So these people had the opportunity to examine the person Jesus. But then they could evaluate the preaching of Jesus. Look at what is said in the latter part of verse 2. Jesus preached the word to them. One of the great characteristics of Jesus is that he was always preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom. When the Lord began his earthly ministry, Matthew tells us that he preached a message of repentance for the kingdom of heaven, he said, is at hand. Can you imagine having had the opportunity to sit and listen to Jesus, the Son of God? No wonder Peter said in John chapter 6, when many of the disciples were no longer willing to follow Jesus, and he asked the question, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. Only Jesus has the words of life eternal. And so these people had the opportunity to evaluate what they heard. And I think today we listen to people, we observe what they say and do, and then we draw some conclusions, don't we? Well, these people had that opportunity. There's a second thing I want you to see in our text. First, we think about the crowd and then the crisis. What about this crisis that occurred in the first century? Well, first of all, according to Mark's account, there was a problem. The problem, according to to the inspired writer, you had a building full of people. Listen again to what is said. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. Sometimes we talk about people hanging out the door. And I think about people flooding this home. They want to be in the presence of Jesus. The Son of God has come to their town, to this home, and they want to be there. And so you've got all these people that have migrated to this one home. So you have a problem. First, a building full of people. And then secondly, you've got a bedridden paralytic. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 3. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. So there's a problem. But these guys devised a plan, didn't they? Now I want you to think about something for a minute. You know someone, whether it's a friend, a family member, a classmate, a coworker, a neighbor, you know someone that needs Jesus, don't you? The problem is they're outside of Christ. So, what you've got to do is develop a plan to connect them to Christ. That's what these guys did. First of all, they removed the roof. Now, homes in the first century, the roof was flat. And many times these homes adjoined one another. And so they pulled the roof back or the awning back. And listen to what is recorded by Mark. When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now think about this for a minute. They want to get their friend before Jesus. The house is full. There's no way to get in. That is, there's no way to get him up close and personal to Jesus. So they devised this plan. They're going to uncover the roof. And they're going to reach out to the Redeemer. That's exactly what they did, according to Mark's account. The people that you know that are outside of Christ, they're on one side, the Lord's on the other, and you're in the middle. You have the responsibility of somehow bridging that gap. You've got to decide the best way, the best means to get them in front of the Lord. It might be that you begin by praying that a door of opportunity will open, allowing you a shot at the soul of an individual. In other words, you're praying for an open door just as Paul did in Colossians chapter 4. When that door opens, you walk through it. You pray for, for that person. Maybe you give them a tract, a CD. You invite them to the worship services or the Bible study. Invite them to our Tuesday class. You encourage them to sit down and study the Bible with you. The bottom line is you're trying to get them in the presence of Jesus. That's what these guys did. They've got a friend in need. He needs the Lord. He needs the help that only the Lord can give. And they make it happen. Now I want you to note, if you would, the praise. In verse 5, the Bible says, When Jesus saw their faith, let me just pause here for a minute. It took a lot of faith for these men to carry this bedridden man to Jesus. They had to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ could make a profound difference in, their, in his life. We have to have faith, not only in the power of the Word of God, but we have to have faith. In the Lord, we've got to have the kind of faith that these men had. Understanding that without Jesus, people will be lost. Our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our classmates, our co-workers. You ever thought about what it means to be lost? Lost do we really understand the plight of those who are outside of Christ? In Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 12, Paul talks about those who are outside a covenant relationship with God. And he said they are without hope. You ever been to visit someone and you're talking to them about their medical condition And they tell you, the doctor says, there's no hope. The disease I have, incurable. I can't be helped. My time is limited. Let me tell you what, there's something far worse than having a terminal illness. To be in a situation where you're without hope and without God. Did you know that people who are without hope and without God, when they step out into eternity, they have no hope. They have no God. And Paul said the wages of sin is death. These guys cared enough to bring their friend or acquaintance to Jesus. It's only when we care enough that we'll bring someone to the Lord. Somebody asked the question, do I have to? Do I really have to reach out to the lost? What do you think? What do you think the Lord would want you to do? Listen to Jesus Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What would Jesus do if he were here today? If I understand the scriptures correctly, I'm to walk in the footsteps of Christ. Peter said that Christ has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So if Jesus was interested in the lost, that means as his child, I need to be interested in people that are lost. If I don't care about the lost, there's something not right with my Christianity, something amiss. These guys cared enough. I ask you, do you care enough? Does it bother you? That people you see on a daily basis, at work, at school, on the ball field, at home, wherever, does it bother you? Does it gnaw at you? That they're lost and dying. They have no hope. And you could be the link. You think about these guys, their intent bring this fella to Jesus. So the Bible says when the Lord saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven you. Think about the pardon that this man enjoyed. I would imagine in looking at this text that these people were overjoyed and rightly so. Now There's something else I want you to see in our text. And that is the critics. There are always going to be critics. But note if you would, first of all, the scribes who doubted the Lord's deity. Verse 6, but some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? They doubted the Son of God. They doubted his deity. But now listen if you would. You have the the scribes who doubted his deity and the Savior who declared his deity. He asks this question, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you or to say arise, take up your bed and walk? Now listen to what he says in verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go your way to your house. Jesus here, the Son of God, obviously demonstrating the ability to know their thoughts. We talk about his omniscience. One of the characteristics or earmarks of deity. And Jesus is going to prove His deity. So I want you to think for a moment or two, fourthly, about his capabilities or his control. Note, if you would, the actions of Jesus. I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go your way to your house. Now you remember in John chapter 5 verse 36, Jesus said the very works that he did bore witness that the Father had sent him. The miracles authenticated the fact that he was who he claimed to be. That is the divine Son of God. And so here you have Jesus saying to this paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go your way to your house. Two things. We talk about the... Actions of Jesus, the activities of Jesus. First, his cleansing power, and then secondly, his changing power. Back in verse 5, he had said to this man, your sins are forgiven you. Why do we need to bring people face to face with Jesus? Because they need the forgiveness of sins. There's There's only one way to be saved. That's God's way. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is defined as a missing of the mark. It is the transgression of the law, according to 1 John 3, verse 4. So people need the Son of God. How then do they enjoy forgiveness of sin? The Bible tells us, Acts 2, verse 38. To those who were present on Pentecost Day, Peter said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you have his cleansing power. Paul said in recounting his conversion, he was instructed to arise, be baptized, and wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So there's cleansing power and changing power. Think about this man. He'd been bedridden. He can't walk. Can't care for himself. And then Jesus says to him, Arise, take up your bed, and go your way to your house. Look at verse 12. Immediately he arose and took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all. Let me just pause there for a minute. If you have a friend, a family member, a co-worker, a classmate, a neighbor, whomever, and you lead them to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, first of all, they're going to enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Secondly, they're going to enjoy a changed life. Now, there are people in our world today that say, you know what, there's no way God would ever forgive me. There's no way that God could ever take somebody like me who has been broken by a life of sin and put me back together again. Well, Paul took, Paul would take issue with that Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul wrote to people that were living in sin. Adultery, fornication, idolatry, homosexuality. Some were thieves, some were covetous, some were drunkards, some were extortioners. He said, but you were washed. The Lord can not only cleanse you, He can change you. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17... Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You can see the life of a person changed by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, we talk about the the actions of Jesus, but note the amazement at Jesus. The Bible says when this man went out in the presence of them all, They were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. First of all, what they saw, they saw a guy that came in on a bed and left walking. That'd get your attention. And then what they said, we never saw anything like this. You think the Lord had their attention? I think he did. I think sometimes we need to get the attention of people by talking to them about their soul, about their spiritual condition, the blessings that can be received, the burdens that can be relinquished. Let me just close by saying this. There are a couple of things Jesus can do that only he can do. One, Jesus can salvage a life. Now, I don't know what kind of life this guy enjoyed prior to, prior to his healing, but I suspect that his quality of life was not on par with the quality of life that you enjoy today, or myself included. I remember some years ago reading about. Christopher Reeve. Many of you remember that he played Superman. And he had an accident, paralyzed from the neck down. And I remember him talking about how everything changed in his life. I mean, this guy had fame, he had fortune, he had a beautiful family, he had everything. And in the blink of an eye, he lost his health. And he said, I had to move from the physical world to the mental. His mind became his playground, so to speak. That that became the center of activity for him. So this guy, I'm just telling you, I doubt had what we would call a quality life. Now there are people that are disabled in any number of ways and they enjoy a quality of life, and we appreciate that. We're grateful for that. But not everyone has that privilege. You think about somebody whose life is literally on the brink of disaster. They're in sin. Did you know that Jesus can salvage that life? Look at, look at Saul of Tarsus. took a man whose life was steeped in sin and turned him around. Not only can the Lord salvage a life, he can save a life. As a matter of fact, there's no one can can save but Jesus alone. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In closing today, I want to ask you a question. Remember last week, I asked you to write down the name of one person and begin working to lead that person to Christ. Christ. I want to ask you today, do you care enough to lead someone to Jesus? I know you care. And I know that you care enough. Sometimes we just have to get motivated to do it. If you had a family member that happened to be in a home, and that home, that home, burning the walls are tumbling down the fire's raging you've got one family member in that home would you run in to get him or her I bet you would you'd do so at the expense of your own life people are living in sin and they need the Lord Jesus Christ it might be the case that you are the only one that can bridge that gap. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, to do what they did on Pentecost day, to be baptized into Christ. Every sin will be washed away. God will add you to the church, Acts 2.47. If you're faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're unfaithful, why not come home? Let us pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon us. We stand and sing.